On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Steve Lehman, the play-by-play voice of Belmont men's basketball, to get us prepared for the Battle of Music City tonight. It's the Doors and the Bruins going at it inside what should be a packed Memorial Gymnasium in the first round of the NIT. The winner will advance to play the winner of Dayton and Toledo either Saturday or Sunday. But for now, we discuss Belmont's play style, what this game means for the city of Nashville, the implications for both teams, and some key matchups to watch. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Let's ride. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, Grab a cold one and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who bleed black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome into the Door Report. It is episode 153. It is March 15th, 2022. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. And Will, we've got uh, not an end-of-season podcast, but we've got kind of an end-of-season podcast and an NIT preview. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Kentucky loss. We're not going to dive too deep because coming here in about a week or two, hopefully longer, for this NIT run for Vanderbilt. We will have that full season recap. But, Will, more importantly, Vandy and Belmont tonight in the first round of the NIT. I know initially when you saw this, same thing as me, just excitement. I mean, I, I saw the I was watching the bracket show, and I saw Vanderbilt Belmont pop up. And Vanderbilt's the higher seed. They got the four seed. They'll be hosting tonight. I thought that was interesting, too, Will, how they respected Vanderbilt's effort down the stretch here. Uh, you know, I know the NCAA tournament committee didn't respect AM, but now they're in the NIT. Now the NIT respects Vanderbilt. So, but Will, we got a fun matchup tonight. Yeah, that you had to bring up the AM thing. Something <laughs> that I I mean, I was just in shock watching it. This I, is not a Texas AM or SEC broadcast, but I was just like, just find me any data that you say you use that is better for Rutgers than Texas AM. There's and, nothing and they, Notre they, Dame and Notre like Dame. every single stat that you can pull up. Every ranking is higher for AM and they were hotter later in the season. It makes no Ridiculous. sense, but that's not the point, the point of, of what we're, of what we're going into. This is a great matchup. Uh, something that I read that I'm not sure if a lot of people know is how they seeded the NITs. They seeded the top four teams in each region. And then you see where like Belmont has no number next to their name. So Belmont's not a five seed. And that they are, they, they matched them up based on what would be intriguing matchups and local matchups yeah. after that. So if it, once they seeded those one through four, then they created the matchups that would create intrigue. That's how you get 
the match. I love that, by the way, Venmo, I, which is awesome, which is an incredible that's thing. How, they did. Yeah, I don't know if they've been doing that. I don't think so. But the way they the did NIT has always created matchups that would be intriguing for local matchups. But I think this might be the first time they've done it with the format of like just seeding the four and then creating matchups from that point yeah, within the yeah. bracket. It's it's electric. I mean, Vandy Belmont, there's not a person in Nashville that's a basketball fan who doesn't want to go to this game tonight. It'll tip off a little early. I think fans are excited about that, but not excited about the fact that there's also a Vanderbilt baseball game tonight against Michigan, and it's a big non-conference game. So we'll see if that affects. I doubt it will affect the crowd too much, um, and, and we'll see how, what the crowd looks like. It, it'll be interesting. I know you and your dad will be there, Will. So uh, Mr. Steve Byram, the huge fan of the Belmont Bruins, we, we were going to try to get him on the podcast, but uh, he, he's not making an appearance. But we do have Steve Lane and the voice of the Bruins, uh, play-by-play voice of them. So uh, we'll talk Belmont basketball with Steve and uh, the game tonight. But before we get to the breaking news, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door.report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. A Laco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, breaking news is uh, we, we didn't really get to recap this Kentucky game much at all. Uh, Vanderbilt ended up losing that one 77-71. But, Will, I, I want to kind of run through some some of the main themes here and and some of our, our reaction to this. And initially for me, Will, of course, the, the regular season's over and, and the run, I guess, Vanderbilt made in the SEC tournament is over. But – it, I don't think it was anything Vanderbilt did in that game. I, I think that Kentucky was the better team. I think they are the better team. I'm not saying Vanderbilt couldn't beat them, but they did everything in that game to beat Vanderbilt. And it's not like Vanderbilt shot awful. They didn't shoot great from three, but Kentucky shot out of their minds. I mean, you saw against Kentucky that next day. I know Tennessee has a very, very good defense, but they were this missing had, that had open nothing shots. to do with Tennessee's defense. The, they, the shots they were hitting against they Vanderbilt were, were just as tough, if not tougher, than the ones that they were missing against Tennessee. Yeah. It was just like what we say with basketball. You can do everything right, but it's just whether or not the shots are going in from the opponent. Yeah. And against Vandy, especially in that first half, man, they were just going to hit. They were going to hit those. They, they were, were unconscious. Hit the tough shots. The mid-range, Jacob Toppin, Washington. I mean, Wheeler was hitting. Shebway had a you know okay game. He 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 played. He didn't. It's not like he dominated the game. Vanderbilt didn't allow that to happen. But yeah, I think they uh, actually did a pretty good job of containing him. For oh the most yeah. Part. I think yeah. that Robbins and QMB did a hell of a job. And I think he was kind of surprised by that because the first mm-hmm. matchup, Robbins was not really healthy. He was in the game, but he was not able to play to his best potential. Uh, well, and you know, getting to the refs, they were obviously a problem, huge problem in this game. <laughs> the the baseline call. It's it's ridiculous, mind-boggling, whatever you want to say about it. Um, but I don't like when people say that's the reason they lost. You know, that's that the re- the refs are not the reason Vandy lost. Vandy lost because they didn't play well enough to beat Kentucky. And so I, I want to put that out there to where yes, you these refs were awful. That call was awful, and I know it played into some of those runs. But 
in in the game of basketball, the, the referees don't win games. Now, they at the end of games, you could talk about a, a huge call, but this wasn't even like that. I mean, you had that call. I know in the baseline, you still had 24 seconds left. Vandy was down four. Um, I know they played a role into this, but I, I hate saying it's the reason they lost. Uh, just begin. I, I Stackhouse would say the same thing. You know, he would say the fact that uh, you know we we did not lose because of those calls by the referees. We lost. Kentucky was better than us tonight. So want to throw that out there. But will also Jordan Wright, twenty seven points. He was ten of twelve from the field. This is the this is. I mean, this is a Jordan Wright that everyone expected this season. You know, and he kind of started really playing up to that potential down the stretch, especially in the SEC tournament. I think he averaged uh, 18, 19 points a game in the SEC tournament. So he's he's really coming on at the right time. Uh, so, well, those were those were some of my main takeaways. I know there was a lot to this game, and we will talk more about this game and how the season finished down the stretch. Uh, but but for me, it was Jordan Wright, and well, also this team's toughness. I mean, they they. They very well have, could have said, "Hey, we've got tired legs." You know, third game and third three games in three days, uh, but they they didn't. You know, I mean, I know Pippen was obviously tired and it affected his shot, but it didn't. It didn't seem like that team had any quit in them, and especially in the entire SEC tournament, there was no quit. Uh, so, well, that, that that's that's pretty much it for me. Uh, they fought, but they did end up losing. And Kentucky loses to Tennessee, and you know, can't hit the backside of a barn. So that's, that's how it goes uh, whenever, but I do think there's a little bit too Vanderbilt kind of not beating up Kentucky, but I think taking a lot out of them. I I think there's a little to that. Will and and Tennessee, you know, they weren't really challenged against Mississippi state at all, you know, and I, Tennessee's a great team. I'll give them credit, but at the same time, Vanderbilt, I think took a lot out of Kentucky. And I think that's kind of an underrated aspect of how that Kentucky Tennessee game went. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't watch any more of the SEC tournament, Billy, because (laughs) I've got to go back to the beginning, the beginning of your statement talking about the referees. And I think this is where we probably disagree just like the most on anything. Because I would say we agree on like 90% of how we view the game and view sports. Yeah, I am on the other side. and, And this is not proper coach speak. And Jerry Stackhouse will never come out and say it. But the referees didn't lose Vanderbilt the game. But they were the reason Vanderbilt did not win the game. And that may sound like odd or whatever. Vanderbilt did things that caused them to lose the game. They didn't shoot well at the beginning, uh, especially in the first half. But I I tweeted out at halftime that this shows Vanderbilt was an NCAA tournament team fully healthy. So I want to get that out there before that's going to be one of my hot takes um, of of this very brief recap. But you've seen what they did. You saw what they did against Georgia. You saw what they did against Alabama. You saw the brief time during the regular season when they were healthy, even with just Rodney Chapman. They were a completely different team, much less Liam Robbins. And competing in this Kentucky game, even when they didn't really shoot the ball that well in the first half, shows that they are a damn good team and definitely one of the best 64 teams in the country when fully healthy. So Stack has them on the right path, and that just reaffirmed it to me, seeing them compete against what was a number two seed in the NCAA tournament like that. But in the first half, Vanderbilt ended that first half only down four points. Mm -hmm. And Vanderbilt shot 37.5% from the field and 28% from three. Kentucky in the first half shot 50% from the field and 43% from three. And Vanderbilt was only down four points right there. Is, mm-hmm. is all you need to see from improvement from last year or even the beginning of this season to now is the fact that Vanderbilt wasn't being blown out in this game at halftime after that shooting performance on both sides, the dichotomy mm-hmm. of it. One of those teams definitely shot the lights out of the ball and should have been up by more than four. Vanderbilt, of course, had that run by Kentucky in the second half, which is where we get into the referees. Yes. And 
Vanderbilt lost this game by six points. And it, it the review and the foot stepping out and then somehow reaffirming that call and confirming that call because they didn't go to review Miles Studi being called or, or the guy next to Miles Studi mm-hmm. stepping out of bounds. That's one thing. That's a horrific, obvious call at the end of the game that clearly had that impact. Mm-hmm. But just as important that's being forgotten in all of this is on that technical foul where, where Kentucky was able to shoot one out of two on that technical free throw, I think at about 12 and a half minutes left, 1235 in that second half, Rodney Chapman received the technical foul. That was a clear shot clock violation. Clear shot clock violation. The ball never hit the rim. Possession whistle, never whistle changed blew. before it went. Whistle blew twice, not once, but twice. And they still counted Kentucky's layup after play had stopped and they scored on the other end of the court. Was, was and Stack, because of what, the complaints. Was Stack complaining about the no foul call? He, or was he was complaining, complaining about, about that. He sh- wasn't even complaining about the right thing. That's that's the, the <laughs> that, he, he got saved by the fact that the referees, because it was not a foul on that. No, it was, not. It, was Rodney, not. Rodney Chapman clearly threw his body it was, into it was the not Kentucky a foul. player. was not a foul. And Stack was complaining about that. But with if the stack, if stack call, would have if stack would have waited a little bit for the, he's for safe, the whistle, because now yeah. he can kind of say like, OK, maybe I was complaining about that. You don't know what I was. At. But th- there was a missed call and it should have been Kentucky's ball dead ball on the sideline. Yes. So it shouldn't have been a technical yes. because he went irate correctly. And the, and game, the referee's half, ego got in the way. Half the guys on the floor stopped playing basketball. Yes. Yeah, so at that point, yes, because they blew the whistle twice. And <laughs> at that point, the game was 48 to 47. OK, after that layup, it was 50 to 47. That's two points. Then one or two from the free throw line, three points. Next possession, Kentucky buries a three. Right there, that's six points, six-point swing. And then, like you said, at the 24, 25-second mark, you have the guy step out of bounds. Should have been Vanderbilt's ball. So that is a – and then Vanderbilt has to foul Kentucky. It's three throws. That's four points. That's ten points right there just gifted to Kentucky. Not even counting if Vanderbilt would have come down and hit a three. So that's 10 to 11 points minimum of an eight-point swing. And guess how much Vanderbilt lost by? Six points. So you want to know why Kentucky has banners. You want to know why they win the tournaments. Because it all comes down to the one play that Vanderbilt never seems to be on the right side of the call. Whether it's Jeff Green walking. The guy stepping out of bounds there. There's just, there's a reason the Blue Bloods are the Blue Bloods. Because it always seems like it just so happens that that call, that questionable call, that questionable questionable review... It just it just so happens to just, always go the direction. Because it so course. happens that we didn't go to review if he stepped out of bounds there. We went to review if he stepped out of bounds five seconds later. We didn't go to review. Did that. they not even watch so that? Not, I don't get how I, they I don't I, get how they missed that. I, that I was really one of those like, things the announcers didn't the announcers, even reference it. The, uh, they yeah. didn't even talk about it the and entire they, they time. They showed it. They showed it. I don't know how many times that we were able to take screenshots of it, but the announcers were almost as oblivious as the referees were on the court. They were like, if, "Oh, if I, you I, wanted I, to, think it, I think it should be Vanderbilt's ball." But if you wanted to put on a tinfoil hat, this is like the only thing that you can. If you wanted to, this is tinfoil hat TDR right here, and put it on there. <laughs> the announcing crew that game. You would have thought that there wasn't even an opponent on the court. It was it, Dane Bradshaw the entire game, which Dane Bradshaw. He's a Tennessee. He he's is, a Tennessee guy. But just the fact that Dane Bradshaw is calling a main game for ESPN is amazing. Dude is one of the most biased color commentators I've ever seen in my life. Good. He has no perspective on like any of the matchup. He just kept talking about how Vanderbilt was in a danger zone, and Vander. The, the announcer said. There was a minute and a half left or whatever it was. They said, Vanderbilt is still hanging in there. <laughs> and I said, 
It is a four-point game with a minute and a half left in the game. How Vanderbilt's is that not hanging, hanging in, there. in there? But that's the perspective they took it from the whole time. It's just at halftime. I read off those percentages. If you looked at those percentages, who would you say played the better half between those two teams? All they talked about was how incredible of a half Vanderbilt played, how bad of a half Kentucky played, and how it was all up into the second half of Vanderbilt being able to hang mm. on to what they did so well in the first half. I said, you didn't even watch. You had this written down. If it was going to be a close game at half, you were going to talk about how bad Kentucky had played, mm -hmm. how good Vandy had played, and how Vandy had to hang on. Because even though Kentucky ended up winning the game and it didn't end up playing out that way, whatever, it was a tight game, Vanderbilt, Kentucky did not outplay Vanderbilt in the first half. Kentucky shot better. That's really what this game, down, game came down to. They got those calls we mentioned, which is why I said it wasn't the only reason. But Kentucky got those calls, which was at a minimum six points, a six-point swing, minimum. And they just shot the ball better. And those are the two reasons Vanderbilt lost, and Jordan Wright was the only reason, Billy. I know you want to give him credit. He was the only reason Vanderbilt was competing yeah. in that game. Yeah, man, what a performance from him. Well, he was the go-to guy. And I, I will say, Dane, credit to Dane, Dane Pradshaw on him. He was he was harping on give the ball to twenty, give the ball to Jordan Wright, not 27. He had 27. Give the ball to four. Uh, but, Will, I, yeah, I, I think hate... they even underutilized him, man, with uh, how yeah. hot he was. Yeah, and Pippen, man, it – it was kind of tough seeing that because after the game, he admitted I, I was gassed basically because he, I mean, he's played in almost every game this season and he's played in what 30, almost 30 minutes of every game this season. So you got to believe that the legs just came into effect there, Will. And, and you know, what was he, one for nine, I think, from three or something yeah, you, like I that? Mean, had you a could few... see it, Billy, like the definition of what coaches will say, like shooting with your arms and mm -hmm. not shooting with your legs. And that's, the that's legs when you were see really yeah, the, the legs, legs were gone. There. I mean, he was yeah. getting no lift on his jumper. His shot was long and short and everywhere, and he was just flinging it up. Mm -hmm. And but you can't really criticize Scotty no, Jr. No. too much. He was two for seventeen. But Jordan Wright, uh, all year, Jordan Wright, really late at the last half of the season has really struggled. And he had a lot of performances where he was zero for seven or mm -hmm. two for ten. And really, this game, what you saw was Scotty Pippen Jr. had that kind of performance. And Jordan Wright was who carried Scottie Pippen Jr. As opposed to kind of, it's been the it's been the flip side of that yeah. in the past in the past uh, last half of the season. Yeah. But it was funny seeing that because man, Jordan Wright, if there's a guy that needed that and deserved it. it, and it's like he's due, he yeah. is due. If there's ever a guy that you're like, he's due for a big game. Well, he certainly was. I think he started out nine for nine. Yeah, he was due. He was not missing anything. And, Will, he was hitting those fadeaway jump shots where he would back guys down. And, and you know, that's kind of the game we it's expected. Unguardable. And uh, Yeah, and, and so looking to next year, Will, that that's kind of going to be more of his role, I think. But, Will, enough about Kentucky. I, I know Vandy fans don't want to hear much about that one. Uh, they lost 77-71. And, uh, of course, Kentucky went on to lose to Tennessee. Uh, but, Will, let's talk. Vandy Belmont tonight really really looking forward to this matchup tonight the line has shifted to Vandy minus three and a half started I think will at four and a half so it's back down to three and a half now the Bruins 25 and seven overall they're led by coach Casey Alexander in his third season they've had winning streaks this season of eight and ten so they've had they've gotten hot this season they fell short of an OVC tournament championship Lost a tight one to Moorhead State, 53-51 in Evansville last Saturday. But, Will, I want to get to a few nuggets on this matchup, and especially for Vanderbilt, 28th postseason appearance in program history. This is their 13th appearance in the NIT, and their first NIT appearance since 2015, of course, under Coach Stallings, that packed house at Memorial Gym uh, when they beat South Dakota State, uh, I think it was, Will. Uh, and, and then, of course, they went on to play – 
uh, on the West Coast, either Stanford or USC. I always get that mixed up, but that was that was the that was the team, and, and that was the last uh, NIT appearance for Vanderbilt, 2015. The last time Vanderbilt uh, was in the postseason, of course, 2017 NCAA tournament. And will against Belmont, they're five and one all time against the Bruins, and they haven't lost to the Bruins at Memorial Gym. So that streak is on the line tonight. They're four and zero against Belmont at Memorial Gym. But will on the Bruins, I know you. You know, I'll admit, you know way more about Belmont than me. Of course, you, uh, and of course, the connection with your dad and kind of uh, being aware of what Belmont has done in, in Nashville. I'm obviously fully aware, and I respect Belmont. Uh, but you, you're kind of the guy I'll go to here. But Ben Shepard averaging 16 points a game and Nick Musinski averaging 16 points a game as well. When you've got a couple guys averaging 16 points a game, you got to believe that they're going to be ready to go tonight. Uh, they lead the Belmont uh, attack offensively. And, Will, they're all, I also saw where they're among the nation's best in assists per game, shooting, and steals per game. So it's not this is not just an offen- a good offensive team. They're a very smart defensive team too. And I think Casey Alexander – has done a really nice job of carrying over what Rick Bird started at Belmont, and he's still playing really good defense. One thing I will say, though, Will, the only SEC team they've played this season was LSU, and they lost by 30. So that's a little perspective. I know that was early in the season. Little perspective on kind of the, you know, the, how they fare against SEC teams this season. Uh, but, Will, what a matchup we got tonight in Nashville, the Music City Classic, and 6 o'clock, kind of an early tip. But I think Vanderbilt fans like that early tip. I don't think they're big fans of that late tip. But, uh, but Will, this is going to be fun mostly because of uh, these teams haven't met in a long time. But at the same time, this would be a big win for both program. I mean, you get to a little bit of bragging rights here in the, in, in the state. I know they've only played six times, but it's, it's I mean, this uh, is, a little bit. This is about as intriguing of a matchup as you're going to get in a non-NCAA tournament game. With the NIT, you have, well, we just got to start from the beginning and saying it's very odd that you have an OVC team in Belmont and an SCC school in Vanderbilt. And for the OVC team in Belmont, this NIT turn, this NIT is it's like a, it's a disappointment. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a disappointment. They, they have a, a very experienced team, a lot of guys that came back. A lot of the same guys that were playing a lot of minutes the last couple of years are playing minutes for them this this year with a very talented freshman uh, that they had coming in this year in that starting rotation. But for Vanderbilt, this is an achievement. This is something I don't think that we thought realistically about 10, 12 games ago was a possibility, yeah. any type of postseason play, as opposed to Belmont that was up there alongside Murray State at the top of the OVC all year. And of course, we know that Murray State got that seven seed, so a very talented conference. Mm-hmm. And even though Belmont was knocked off in the semifinals by Moorhead State, Steve uh, Lehman, <laughs> you know, he, he glazed over the part of they were also going to have to play the best OVC team in the history of the OVC and Murray State in the championship game. And there was almost no chance that Belmont was beating them. Yeah, Murray anyway. State. They were like so 30, Murray State. Right? I, I, yeah, I would have been shocked if Murray State was not the the automatic bid from that conference. So he yeah. he glazed over that part, but Murray State did earn that. Um, there are some incredible matchups in this game. Match-ups, number one baby. being number one being coaching. The coaching matchup here is fascinating. You've got two guys both in year three, both coming off of coaching transitions that could not be more different. You have Casey Alexander moving over also from another program in Nashville, Lipscomb, Lipscomb. Belmont's big rival, Battle of the Boulevard. Uh, he's a former assistant coach under Rick Bird. He came in after Rick Bird's retirement after the 2018 season, I believe, and he came mm-hmm. in in 2018, 2019. 
Um, and, and in the last three seasons has led them to three straight years of 25 plus wins. Jerry Stackhouse is opposed to picked up a team that was not coming off an NCAA tournament berth. Nope. Uh, they were 0 and 18 in conference with nine total wins. So they, they're coming from very different trajectories. Casey Alexander's maintained a large degree of success at Belmont. They become a great mid-major program, not just a good mid-major with a great coach. So Rick Bird sitting there when he retired, uh, or now he's currently sitting at 12th all-time on, on the all-time wins list in the NCAA. I don't know where he was when he retired, but I think he has Legend. over 800 wins total overall. But getting to the players, Billy, and I know you wanted to defer to me here because I yeah, grew up I, watching Belmont go into the games at the Curb Events listening. Center. Uh, th- this was the back in Craig Bradshaw, Ian Clark. I'm naming off names that that guys definitely remember if you've ever ever watched mm-hmm. Bruin basketball. But this year, they're very talented, very very senior heavy, and the main two guys, not their leading scorers, but their main two guys are Grayson Murphy and Nick Mazinski. Um, and those guys have been there for a long time. Nick Mazinski is in that center spot. He's six foot eleven, senior, crafty is probably the best way to describe him. Every single move in the book, everything you can think mm. of, he has it. He's going to fake you. He's going to get you to jump. He's going to get you in foul trouble early. Well, AJ, has, AJ Ogilvy. He has to. Yeah, actually, he's he's very long, very lanky. Um, he's going. He gets in weird spots. He's almost the. My dad described him as the Scottie Pippen Jr. of the post. Is how oh, he said he would describe that's him. Kind of so, scary. Yeah, Liam Robbins has to play disciplined because I think Liam Robbins' length at seven foot with the long arms, shot blocking ability is going to be able to bother Nick Bazinski in the post. Nickname, by the way, I used it a lot with Moose. Steve, but is Moose uh, because you cannot spell Mazinski. It's it's a pain in the butt. Um, but I think QMB could struggle with Mazinski. I, I think he plays a lot of the style of defense that is hands straight up in the air with the body. And Nick Mazinski's going to eat that alive because he's he's not like he's even not like Oscar Sheboy. Okay, Oscar Sheboy has that hook shot. He rebounds powerfully. He's an athlete. Mazinski's finesse is ten times the post player that Oscar Sheboy is. He's not ten times the player. Ten times the post player footwork, fakes, just the myriad of moves he has. He's a nightmare. So it just guys not getting in foul trouble early is going to be number one. Number two is Grayson Murphy. We brought this up with Steve on the interview in segment two. Grayson Murphy versus Scottie Pippen Jr. Mm. Grayson Murphy is pretty much the same style of player as Scottie Pippen outside of scoring, which I know that that, that that sounds dumb, but he's the same guy to them. Okay, so take away Pippen Jr. scoring, and what does he do for Vanderbilt? He runs the offense. He controls the pace of the game. He gets them set up correctly. He feeds the ball. You feel like he's in control of the game when he's out there. That is, that's him. That that is Belmont's point guard and Grayson there. So seeing Scottie Pippen Jr. and him match up, which of these point guards is able to take control of the game early? And there are some other matchups, Billy, besides the point guard and center situation that I know, uh, I know you wanted to get here. to, including including Jordan Wright. Yeah, well, Jordan Wright, I, I'm I have no idea who would guard him on Belmont. I'm sure you would know. Uh, I don't know if Ben Shepard would be on him, uh, but that's the, what I said, man. Like, yeah. He's he might be. A and well, another thing Steve said though on the matchups when I asked him about Pippen, I hate to reveal this, but you know, I mean, he talked about it, Murphy may not be guarding Pippen. You know, it, it, at least half the time. See, that is one of the, time, the one so. of the moments. The only thing in the interview, and I didn't want to do it during the interview, that I disagree. Uh, Grace Murphy will be guarding Scotty Pippen Jr. I and, mean, he, and the re- 
the he's, reason he's behind probably, that is he's going to be matched up with him. But I think I think what Steve was saying was like, hey, he may there may be times no, where and, hey, and, 30% and, and of I, the time he may not be on him. But exactly. I also but I, I but, I, but I, I don't that, think that's going to be true because he have, was prepping. Is he their he best defender? Is Murphy? He's not their best defender. But the problem is not that Grayson Murphy is the best matchup for Scottie Pippen Jr. The problem is so why Belmont lost by 30 to LSU and why they have struggled to have success in games when they played in the NCAA tournament is Belmont struggles against length, size, athleticism. Because when you see Belmont, they're very skilled. They share the ball really well. They shoot the ball really well. But even Mazinski, you would describe them as a finesse team. And Vanderbilt, in a way, shoots a lot of threes as well. But I would not describe Vanderbilt as a finesse team. No. And they're there's not one the, they're reason. They're not the Kevin Stallings teams of the past. There is one reason I can tell you why Grace, he will he will not be switching matchups, and that's Jordan Wright because he cannot guard Jordan Wright. If they switch over and have him guarding Jordan Wright throughout this game, Jordan Wright will have he fifty will points. Eat him up. Jordan Wright is a matchup nightmare for Belmont, and his size, his his athleticism, and how he plays the game. That is specifically who I, I know if Belmont fans are listening to this preview, that is the guy to watch. Six foot six, big body, athletic, can drive, like you said, likes the back down and fade away. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to help over with the post with Mazinski if he does drive. And if they do that, man, Lee Robbins could have a big game and they cannot get Nick Mazinski in foul trouble. That's the one thing for Belmont that they have some depth with some bigger bodies. I believe Adelman, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. is, is one of their backups there. Um, but they have some size in the backup, but really it's not even like Q and B coming in. These mm-hmm. are just big bodies that yeah. they have coming in off the bench. So Mazinski, um, and then, sorry, I'm, I'm looking at my notes down here. Let me make sure I get to all of them. Luke Smith is another guy Luke for Smith. Belmont. Luke Smith has had a very disappointing year for Belmont. He came in last year. He was shooting almost 40% from three through 30 games last season, playing <laughs> almost thir- over 31 minutes a game this year. He shot about 33, 34% from the, from the three-point line. And he was expected to be a scorer for this team. His overall field goal percentage has dropped four or five points as my laptop screen is uh, blacking in and out, Billy. So I may have to You're defer good. over you. But uh, Luke Smith, there we go. It's back up. So Luke <laughs> Smith. So he's a guy that I think Belmont, he's a senior, I believe, that they're going to want to get kind of going early. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also, of course, you mentioned Ben Shepard. He's been their most consistent scoring option throughout this entire season. That's going to be a guy that Vanderbilt, I guess, Jordan Wright is likely going to be the matchup on. And that's going to be a big matchup throughout this game. Maybe Rodney Chapman, um, if he's able to guard him. I don't know how much of a matchup stress they're going to want to put mm-hmm. on him with that injury with that hamstring not wanting to have to have him give too much effort on the defensive side of the ball um but luke smith jacoby wood off of the bench that's a guy that came in with a lot of excitement at that guard position for belmont he can have a game where he can come out and just be a non-factor be a complete non-contributor and then he can have games where he comes out and puts up double digits so there's going to be a lot to watch this season um, or this game throughout this season is what I wanted to get to with Jacoby Wood. Uh, he had no points in their loss to Moorhead State in 18 minutes. Down the stretch, he hasn't had a double-digit game since the 3rd of February. But before that, his previous four games in the 3rd of February, he had 17 points, 18 points, 4 points, then 13 points. So he's a guy, when he comes in the game, he can be a complete non-factor off the bench, and he could be a guy that you're not going to hear his name at all tonight. But don't be surprised if Jacoby Wood plays a factor, especially 
if Trey Thomas is active. I don't know if we have he's any not, information he's on not. that. Okay. Yeah. As I was about to say, that could be a matchup that Belmont could be targeting off the bench and somewhere they could see to possibly take an advantage just because of the size there. Yeah. Jacoby Wood's not necessarily yeah. the biggest guy, but just with Trey Thomas. So I don't know if Trey Thomas is a negative necessarily um, being out this game because I think he wouldn't create the matchup nightmare that he creates in SEC games. Um, I think this is probably I, the level of ba- about the level of basketball yeah. he should be playing at is about the OVC. But where you're going to see the benefit is you don't get the advantage that you actually have over Belmont, which we didn't even get into how many three-point attempts both these teams shoot, Billy. Yeah, but a lot, ben, a lot. I mean, my God, it's Belmont ridiculous. is it, – it's crazy. We're going to see a lot. Now, I want to get back over to you, but just this yeah. last stat is Vanderbilt is 19th in the country in three-point attempts versus, three, versus normal shots attempted in the game and Belmont is sitting there at 46th. So you have two teams that shoot a lot, a lot, a lot of threes, and both teams are not only shoot a lot, they're also both bad at allowing teams to shoot a lot of threes. Vanderbilt is allow, is 243rd in the country, um, so they're giving up a ton of threes. Belmont sitting at 253rd. So expect a lot of threes, and really, it's just going to come down to who's hitting them. We've given all this evaluation. It's going to come down to the post, but... We know both of them are going to shoot and whose shots are going to fall on Memorial tonight. Yeah, well, I was just going to say that I think both teams are going to shoot well. I think they're going to shoot a lot of threes. Uh, but I think what this game is going to come down to is Musinski versus Vanderbilt's post. If Vanderbilt lets Musinski get loose tonight for 20, 25, I think Belmont wins. You know, I, I, I could be wrong. I think it's going to be a close game. It's going to be a lot of points. But if, if, if Musinski is that dangerous, I mean, he's been there, what, three years, Will? Uh, four years? Is he a four-year four guy? Years. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. he's been, he, he, he is a veteran guy, and, and he's a guy that Vanderbilt hasn't played many players like him. I mean, we talked about Shebway. There's not really – There I aren't mean, really Castleton, many players like – Maybe Colin Castleton, but that's Mazinski, like the only – Mazinski is a dying breed of yeah. ghost. I mean, you're, you're, Vandy fans are going to see him, and you said A.J. Ogilvie. I think that's actually – Yeah. I think he's a little bit better of a tougher of a play, – stronger of a player maybe mm-hmm. than Ogilvie, a little bit more solid. Yeah. But, man, that's that's pretty similar. Yeah. You just don't see those guys mm-hmm. with the polished post games anymore, man. It's yeah. just not It's It's a dying recruiting. breed, yeah, behind yeah. the times. But, Will, I, I will say on the Musinski matchup, if Vanderbilt can contain him, I think it could get ugly for Belmont, you know, because then they're going to have to start shooting a lot of threes. And I know they've got other guys, you know, that, that they can rely on in the paint. Ben Shepard's another guy that has produced this year. Uh, but I just think this is a type of game you're going to see a lot of points. You're going to see a lot of threes shot up. And I think if Vanderbilt can also get out in transition – that could also, I think, create some problems for Belmont. So, um, again, Will, great scouting report there uh, on the Belmont team. I think uh, it's funny, Mr. Byron might have had a little bit deeper there. I mean, he's, he's, he's the biggest Belmont guy. But, uh, Will, interesting about this game, the winner of this game faces Dayton and Toledo. And that'll be in Dayton. That'll be Rodney Chapman's return to Dayton. Mm. If, of course, Dayton beats Toledo. But that's kind of a – the NIT, I think it's going to be fun. I, I think if, if – and, you know, uh, Steve Lehman talked about it, Will. If, if a team gets on a run, it's almost like once you get on that NIT run, it's like, okay, now we're playing for something as opposed to, you know, I think there are some fans out there, not Vandy fans, but there are some fans of teams in the NIT right now that aren't happy about being there, particularly Texas A&M. Maybe a few Belmont fans, but, I mean, they're playing Vanderbilt, so they should be they should have all the excitement there. But, uh, Will, I, I would just say that's my key to this matchup, the, the, the post play. If Yuzinski gets loose, 
watch out. Now, now Vanderbilt can, can can still shoot well, and they and they'd still be in the game. I don't think Belmont runs away with it if if he's dominating. But at the same time, Vanderbilt's got to have a game plan against him. And if Robbins and Q and B get in foul trouble early, whew, you can't have that happen. So there's some things that I'm watching early in the game. How Vanderbilt attacks Musinski is going to be really interesting. Yeah, I think that's the main matchup that that everybody's excited about, and that's the number one thing that popped into my head immediately was Liam Robbins against Mazinski. Mm-hmm. And then number two was Grayson Murphy versus Scottie Pippen Jr. Uh, and those are probably the two most key matchups. I mean, those are the kind mm-hmm. of the most key players. But I think where Vanderbilt's going to win and lose this game is going to be Jordan Wright is – I mean, he's, I he's the X factor. Him, but he has to come out and score. He is going to be the guy with the matchup advantage. And then who is going to guard Ben Shepard? Is it going to be Miles Studi? And if it is Miles Studi, he's going to give him fits. He's a good scorer. He's very talented. That's what I want to get at. With how, how, tall, don't, how tall is Shepard? He's six foot five, I believe. Okay, yeah, they'll, they'll so probably he's have about that, about that height. So, yeah. and, and that's about Jordan Wright's height as well. Studi's about six seven, mm-hmm. um, but he plays that small two three guard, and Belmont's offense is interchangeable, kind of relatively mm-hmm. similar to Vanderbilt. Boy, here. Shepard, Shepard versus Wright. If that's a matchup, that could be fun to watch. And and Shepard yeah. at six five, you you got to believe he can do what he can against Wright, but at the same time, Wright. I mean, he just dropped 27 against Kentucky. So I'm with you. I think Wright will is the X factor because the and way he's I, playing right now. And the tempo of these teams, yes. that's the other thing, is this is so similar to like how Belmont's tempo and average possession length grades out offensively versus defensively. If, if anyone out there listened to our Alabama preview, they are so similar to Alabama. Very quick offensive possessions. Wants to and get they up make shots. Teams t- and they make teams take a lot of time when those teams are on offense. They, mm-hmm. they do not allow easy shots. Now, granted, that's against OVC competition versus SEC, but this is a really good and very experienced Belmont team. They have a lot of minutes coming back. They're minutes continuity, so the same guys playing the same minutes this year. It's top 20 in the country. So you can look at experience, years of experience, that doesn't really matter. I mean, if a guy's a junior and has this is his third year, does it really matter if he hasn't seen the court much? I don't think mm-hmm. so because they're about Vanderbilt and Belmont are about the same in experience level in that stat on Ken Palm, but their minutes continuity. Belmont is top twenty in the country. Vanderbilt, I believe, is in like the one fifty to two hundred range. So Belmont has a lot of experience and in tournaments that can that can be advantageous or not so much, and it can mm-hmm. get you kind of stagnant and going to one guy which I think this year Belmont just, they struggled to find the flow and the mixture of combining these guys that are in their third, fourth year combined with the talent they have that's younger uh, in Ben Shepard and and different guys that they have. So combining Luke Smith and Grayson Murphy and Mazinski with other guys on the roster, even though they had 25 wins, and we say all this is like, what a disappointing season for Belmont, but they still had a hell of a season. It's just in their expectations this year with these guys were NCAA tournament, OVC championship or nothing. And now they're here. Is this a redemption game for Belmont? Or is this a game that they're going to struggle to be focused and say, we've blown it, whatever, we didn't do it on our scene. I think it's on the other side. I think you're going to have a very focused Belmont team trying to send a message to Vanderbilt, to Nashville, that even though it was disappointing, this is a way they can kind of redeem what was in a way a lost season. And you have Vanderbilt on the other side trying to send a message, hey, we are an NCAA tournament team if we're healthy and we're going to beat the crap out of Elmont and run through this tournament and then going into next season, we're here 
ready to ride. So there's a lot for both teams, different perspectives. One trying to close out a career kind of in the right way and kind of turning the page and Belmont has a great recruiting class coming in. And then the other is building towards next season with Vanderbilt. So you have two different baths, both mean a lot. And I don't think you get this much meaning in an mm-hmm. NIT game very often. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. I, I, I can't wait to watch the matchup and, and will Vanderbilt better become better come ready to play. They, they, if they sleepwalk the first three, four, or five minutes, oh, yeah. watch out because this Belmont team, they, they are coached by a Belmont great can coach come out and very, this is not, and, I don't want people to get caught up on the four, man. They will beat Vandy. Like they will come I, out I, and beat oh, Vandy. Oh, I know. 100%. I, I am fully aware, and I think they, they very well can. You know, I, I will get to our predictions, but will Casey Alexander, I don't think, has gotten enough credit for what he's done there, especially after Rick, Rick Bird. I mean, Rick Barnes, one of the Rick Rick Barnes, Rick Bird, one of the most legendary Rick Bird, one of the most legendary coaches in all of college basketball history ever. And, and you know, for Casey Alexander to step in there and keep that going and and play great defense, shoot the ball well, give credit to him. And and, and Belmont and that program and that coach and everyone involved there deserves a lot of credit. And they're going to come in here to Memorial tonight, ready to play. And they, like you talked about, the veteran experience factor in this game will. That's going to matter tonight. Now, Vanderbilt also has Scotty Pippen, who's played a lot. Jordan Wright, who's played a lot. I think Pippen and Wright here in the NIT, and especially Chapman, it's it's a lot about guard play. Well, I know we talk about the post a lot, but if you don't have guards that you can rely on to score and and create offense, good luck, you know, in, in the postseason. But Belmont has it with Grayson Murphy. And, and Shepard and guy a guy like Jacoby Wood, too. He could be another key tonight. For Vanderbilt, they've got it with Pippen. They've got it with Chapman, and they've got it for Wright. So, Will, I don't, I don't know if I'm overrating my excitement here, but I'm, I'm, the more we talk about this game, the more excited I get. Tip-off is coming soon. I, I know you're headed over there. <laughs> it's a 6 o'clock tip. Uh, but, Will, I know there's no hesitation in you going to the basketball game over the baseball game. I, I know there was, there was not much. I know it's a, it's a big-time non-conference game, but it's also Vandy Belmont in the NIT. I, I don't think you were going to miss this one ever. Look, look, Vandy fans. All right, anybody out there, this isn't a choice, okay? If you're a Vandy baseball fan and that's your thing, 100% respect that. Not going to hate on you for choosing the Michigan game, the Michigan regular season midweek baseball game over probably the most meaningful game in Vanderbilt basketball in years. Yeah. Um, but Since if you're choosing that, and you're, yeah, if you're 50 50 on this, it's not a choice. This, this game and what it means for the program is much bigger than one win in the NIT. Mm-hmm. This is this is building forward to a team with a lot of talent returning, a lot of talent coming in, and a lot of confidence. And that's the big thing, is at the end of that Kentucky game, they played them down to the wire. Was it a frustrating way to lose? Absolutely. But that just builds more confidence, is the fact that they can point to that and say, we were one, two calls, one, two shots away from beating a number two seed in the tournament. We already think that we're a top five, top six seed in the NCAA tournament, which is what they have in their minds, fully mm-hmm. healthy. If you come out and run through this tournament, make it to the championship, make a nice run to the final four and then IT, man, your confidence going into next season is through going to be like, who's going to beat us? I mean, you're, you're bringing back guys where you already had confidence through the roof, add in 
three scorers, three four-star scorers in this class, which is what this team is missing that just fill the holes just right. And some quotes from Scottie Pippen Jr., Billy. He said oh. he hadn't even thought about next season yet. Yeah, he hadn't even I, given I thought it a that, thought I, when I asked thought after that was the interesting. Uh, I, yeah. You know, so who knows? The longer that who goes, knows? the better. The longer that goes, the better. Because you better would think for... if he's going, if he's going, you would think he would want to announce that as early as possible and get on the yeah. radar. So the longer that he can keep pushing it off after this this NIT ends, mm-hmm. the better it's going to look yeah. for Vanderbilt to maybe have. Quite an yeah. exciting uh, roster return yeah. there. I'll think a little bit more seriously after the NIT mm-hmm. and after that because then, yeah. you know, you don't want to say much about it after the Kentucky. I mean, he's not going to come out there and be like, yeah, yeah, yes, I'm, I'm going pro. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm out. I mean, that's not what I, it's why I didn't yeah. take too much. No, into yeah, it. yeah. But it, it, it's still interesting. I think there's a little sliver there for Vandy fans to rely on. But, Will, this has been a little long. Let's get to our predictions. Let's be quick with it. I know we could talk about this game tonight for three hours. But let's get to it. I'll, I'll go first here. Again, the winner plays Dayton or Toledo uh, for Vanderbilt. That'll be a nice return for Chapman to Dayton. But, again, I talked about it, Will. I think both teams are going to put up points. They're going to shoot threes. They're going to make a lot of threes. Can Musinski, If Musinski has 20 points, this is going to be a barn burner. because And, and they Belmont might end up winning in, in that case. But with Scottie Pippen Jr. rested, with Jordan Wright coming off his hottest performance of the season, with Robbins coming into form, with Chapman coming into form, I think this team can win the NIT. Will <laughs> like I, I if all things go right, and the NIT they get their next game would be Saturday or Sunday, so they get another four days of rest. And you know I I think this team can do some damage. But Will they've got to keep that momentum going from the SEC tournament, and I think it's also on Stackhouse to say hey this matters. This NIT run matters that we can go on. And I think this game tonight, Will, is a chance for Coach Stackhouse to keep the momentum going in his case. I I think he proved a lot of people wrong, but go do it again tonight against one of the best coaches in the state of Tennessee at college basketball and Casey Alexander. You've got a lot of good coaches, Hardaway, Barnes, Stackhouse, uh, Alexander. Uh, you got Roy Acuff, I think, at Lipscomb. So, Will, a lot of good basketball in the state of Tennessee. I think for for not necessarily bragging rights, but continuing to prove what you're doing at Vanderbilt will work and is going to work and that the, the future is bright. I think it's another big opportunity because say you lose to Belmont. It's like, eh, you know, they made the NIT, but they lost to Belmont in that game at home. And, and you know, they got outclassed. I think that that's what Stackhouse can't have happen. But if they come out, beat Belmont handily, who that, that that's that's a message. So, Will, I'm excited. I don't, you know, I'm not going to say I know what's going to happen, but I think Vanderbilt wins. I think Vanderbilt gets, I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be close. I'm going to pick high scoring game 85 to 81. Vanderbilt wins 85, 81. A lot of threes, a lot of points. I think Musinski has a good game, but I think Pippen and Wright and Chapman defensively just do just enough. Uh, to hang on, but man, I can't wait. And uh, it, it's going to, it should be loud tonight in Memorial. It, it should be loud. If all, if, if the fans uh, actually, actually show up, which I think they will, will the, uh, the mandates are removed and the, I know the baseball games at the same time, but this is a big game. I don't see if you're, I don't see why if you're a Vanderbilt or Belmont fan or general basketball fan of the state of, uh, in, in the city of Nashville, you don't go. I don't see why you don't go. Uh, but I do have Vanderbilt tonight, 85, 81. Yeah, this, this game, I, I'm going to predict something that I hope doesn't happen. Um, and it's still a Vanderbilt win, but 
this matchup is this prediction is a combination of what I like to always do, which is look at the numbers and find interesting trends to predict the game that are going to be unique ways to view things. But also, I've I've watched both of these teams. I watched every almost every second of Vanderbilt this year, and watched quite a bit of Belmont and a lot of Belmont with these guys over the last three four years, and knowing the roster. So I want to come out and say like exactly what you're saying: eighty five to eighty one, high scoring game, both teams, you know, going back and forth, fun and exciting, loud environment. Mm-hmm. What I think is going to happen, and this is my prediction, I think Vanderbilt's going to run them off the floor. And the reason behind Ooh. that is is very simple. Belmont is a great program. What Belmont struggles against is, number one, athleticism and rebounding. If a team is athletic and rebounds well with size on the inside, Belmont cannot compete with them. Their athleticism just isn't there. And Casey Alexander's trying to change that with Belmont's recruiting, but he just hasn't done it yet. Um, and Vanderbilt presents a nightmare of a matchup. And Jordan Wright is who I keep pointing to because he's the perfect guy to say this is what Belmont doesn't have and what would they struggle to face so consistently. And Vanderbilt also has Tyron Lawrence off the bench. You have mm-hmm. Scotty Pippen Jr. driving. You bring in QMB. It's just little things like that. Rodney Chapman at 6'2". Dezoni, I think. I Dezoni think as well. It's these bigger, more athletic guards that mm-hmm. Belmont struggles with. And then size and athleticism and rebounding on the inside. And Vanderbilt has both of those things. And one stat, which is what succinctly put in my prediction, which I'm about to give, is Belmont has not played many top 50 defenses this year. In fact, they've only played four others, and there are wow. only four other defensive efficient teams in the top 50, according to Ken Palm, they've played have been Dayton, Murray State, and LSU, Murray State twice. Belmont has not scored over 61 points against any of those teams. Um, they lost those games 85 to 53 to LSU, who I think is the most comparable to Vanderbilt that Belmont has played. They lost 82 to 60 and 76 to 43 to Murray State. And then number 45 in defensive efficiency, which is Dayton, is 63-61. I think Vanderbilt's going to be able to get more shots off and hit shots warmed up from their run in the SEC tournament against Belmont. I think Vandy's going to run away with this one. I think they went 77-66 to is going to be my final score prediction. 77-66. But I don't it think in. it's necessarily going to feel that close. It's I don't kinda, think you're really going to ever have a doubt. S- slow death for Belmont. I maybe? think Vanderbilt will pull will, will pull ahead later in that first half, early second, and I don't think Belmont will cut it within 6-8, to eight, kind of the remainder of mm-hmm. the game. I think they'll have a nice cushion. And I, like I said, I don't necessarily – how strong? To see that. Yeah. How strong I, I and are you in your belief see. in that? I'm ve- I, I feel very strongly that Vanderbilt's going to come out and win. I feel yeah. very strongly this is a pretty bad matchup for Belmont. I think Vandy, this means more to them, regardless of the finish off their senior year strong. Mm-hmm. I think this means a lot to Vanderbilt, and the wins are really wins for them as opposed to Belmont's like, if we make a run and win it, mm-hmm. then it means something. Yeah. But yeah. for Vandy, I think winning two or three games means a lot, not just winning the championship or getting to the finals. So... I think Vandy runs them off the court. I there hope it is. I'm right slash hope I'm wrong because I want to see a good matchup, Billy. I'm rushing there after work. I'll be there as, as quick as possible in those general admission seats. Oh, uh, the GA. How much were those, Will? Uh, 15 bucks, I think. It, wow. I mean, that's 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 a no-brainer. No-brainer to head over to Memorial Could be tonight. 20. I'm not sure. Could, could be 20, but no, nonetheless, just a really fun matchup tonight. It'll be a 6 o'clock tip-off, ESPN2. Vanderbilt favored by 3.5, Will. But before we get to Steve Lehman, 
He was he was great. He, he's their play-by-play guy at Belmont, and uh, he replaced Kevin Ingram, which I thought was uh, and we we asked him about it at the end. But um, you know he's done a solid job for them this season. Will uh, and I'm not sure of the station. I forgot to ask him about the station. We'll try to get that out, tweeted out or something. I know I know Belmont fans know what that is. But Will Steve gave us some information, and he went deep. I know uh, I know uh, you know you can go deeper here, but Will he's he's seen this team, and it was fun to get uh, to get his perspective on this matchup because he also covered both these teams at, at news channel five for a while yeah you got an interesting perspective there and you made the joke at the end they would have to get a uh, picture with him and kevin Ingram yeah, there. Have you have the competing game, the competing yeah. play-by-play guys but he was great i mean we ask we would ask like one question about a matchup he's very knowledgeable so obviously if you don't tune in to kevin ingram then tune in to old steve layman over there because oh, he yeah. was he was prepping actively for vanderbilt <laughs> while we were doing the interview so the guy definitely knows what he's talking about he's very knowledgeable about belmont and anything we didn't answer in the segment one I'm sure he'll yeah. answer in second. And we also we also referenced a lot of it. So sorry, Steve. I revealed oh, yeah. some of your answers, but not all of it. But uh <laughs> Will, coming up, Steve Lehman, the play-by-play broadcaster for Belmont men's basketball here on the door report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back into the Door Report. Alongside Will Byram, I'm Billy Derrick, and we are happy now to be joined by Steve Lehman, the play-by-play broadcaster for Belmont men's basketball ahead of tonight's Belmont-Vanderbilt matchup in the NIT. First round, 6 o'clock local time tip-off on ESPN2. Steve, thanks for taking the time. How you doing? How's the how's the first season with the Bruins been? Billy, it's been a lot of fun. I'm crash-coursing here like everybody else. Getting Love it. For tonight. For, for the game, and that's the thing about these tournaments is you don't get really time to prep, and for Belmont, at least, there was a real question being a mid-major school that didn't win the conference title in the regular season and obviously lost at, at the very end of the game at the buzzer against Moorhead State in the conference semifinals, if it would be able to get in, and so a big-time relief on Sunday night to get that at-large bid into the NIT, and a really fun matchup here, I think, for Belmont for Vanderbilt and for the entire city of Nashville. Yeah, I want to go a little bit deeper for Nashville because I can't remember an NIT here locally with as much hype as this, uh, as this first round matchup. So you've been in Nashville for a while. You've covered both of these teams and now you're, of course, the voice of the Bruins. But in your experience in Nashville, um, how excited uh, do, do you think the city feels for this? Yeah, Billy, there's more buzz about it than I can remember. That's for sure. I've been here for 11 seasons. This is, I guess, technically my 12th postseason that I've been in Nashville. And so you've seen several teams, whether it be Belmont or Lipscomb or Vanderbilt or Middle Tennessee, that have reached this point to be in the postseason. But in terms of a game in the city of Nashville, I I can't remember anything like it. I mean, the closest thing to a buzz was when Lipscomb made it to the Final Four a few years ago. And they were in Madison Square Garden, but obviously that isn't here in town. The amount of people who've sent me texts since the bracket came out on Sunday night and said, man, do you know anything about tickets? Because I'd love to go see this game. And we're not talking about people who are necessarily Vanderbilt or Belmont fans, but the idea that you get these two programs that are literally next door neighbors 
to finally get on the court for the first time in five seasons and to do it in the postseason, I think has a lot of people excited. Well, uh, let's get into the Belmont Bruins. Uh, for Vanderbilt fans who may not have watched a ton of Belmont basketball this season, they obviously know they're a good team. Uh, but how would you describe their season and their style of play under Coach Casey Alexander uh, this season? It was a season that started with as high as expectations as there have ever been around this place. This is a team that obviously earned the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament two years ago and was unable to play because the entire tournament, as we all know, was canceled by COVID. And then last season, Belmont ran off a 26-3 and season right up to the championship game of the OVC tournament, and Moorhead State shot the lights out and beat them there for the automatic bid. And because of the way everything worked last year and non-conference schedules were screwy and all that, Belmont not only didn't get an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament, it didn't even get an at-large bid into the NIT. So as great as the year was last year, there was no postseason. But that entire team came back this year. And so the expectations were for it to be another great year. They scheduled really difficult out of conference. They started the year at Ohio. They played in the ESPN invites invitational down in Orlando and made it to the championship game against Dayton in a tournament that had Miami and Kansas and Alabama and Iona and Drake. It was a loaded field and Belmont got to the finals. They also have wins over Chattanooga and Furman and Samford, some good teams out of the SOCON. I'm leaving out some other, oh, St. Louis out of the A-10 on the road. So it's a team that really challenged itself and performed well in the non-conference. Unfortunately, bad matchups in the OVC. They beat everybody they were supposed to, but of the two best teams in the league, they went 0-2 against Murray State, 1-2 against Moorhead State. You can talk about the matchups, maybe don't favor Vanderbilt, the athleticism and some of that. But frankly, when you look at it, there's a little disappointment. This team never reached the peak that maybe could have this year, never shot the ball as well as people expect a Belmont team to, never was efficient offensively in the way you expect a Belmont team to be. But still, at the end of the day, it's a 25-win team that now has a chance to really prove itself in a premier tournament like the NIT. Yes, Steve, thanks for taking the time with us here. Um, but uh, Billy asked that question of the perspective of Vanderbilt fans that maybe haven't seen a lot of Belmont basketball or don't know a lot. I'm on the complete other side. So I grew up watching every Belmont basketball game. My dad went there. He's a diehard fan. So I may have a few more detailed questions, maybe so with some matchups sure. here tonight that I'm, I'm extremely excited about. But I want to take a step back to the coaches and Casey Alexander and prior to him in, I believe he's in year three right now, same as Coach Jerry Stackhouse there at Vanderbilt, Rick Bird was there and he was a staple uh, over there at Belmont coaching on the sideline for the Bruins at the Curb Events Center. So what is that transition like as obviously Casey, well, not obviously, I'm sorry I said that, but Casey <laughs> Alexander came over from Belmont's rival, the Battle of the Boulevard over there from Lipscomb, came over to Belmont. What has that transition been like? And obviously it's very different situations here with the coaching changes going from Rick Bird to Casey Alexander versus uh, Vanderbilt being in kind of a downward spiral changing coaches as opposed to graduating on a legendary NCAA coach. Yeah, well, and the reason why the transition was so different, I think, in Belmont, besides where the programs were, it was partly Casey Alexander's relationship to the program because he played for Rick Bird. He was an assistant under Rick Bird. I mean, he's a Belmont guy. His family is a Belmont guy. He met his wife there. And so to come back to Nashville, first at Lipscomb, like institution just down the road, I know people think it's weird because they're such big rivals, but really those schools are more alike each other than they're different from each other. 
And so when he got the opportunity to come back to Belmont, it was a very smooth transition because he knew the people, he knew the infrastructure, he knew the commitment from the school, and obviously he knew the way Rick Bird had done things and recruited over the years. And so he was able to step in pretty quickly and just kind of put his fingerprints on the program at that point. And really they haven't skipped a beat. Rick Bird had incredible success, won all the conference championships, got the nine NCAA tournaments with Belmont. But Casey Alexander's come in, and in three years, he's won 78 games with this team, 26, 26, and 25 in the last three years. This should have been in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago. This should have been in at least the NIT last year, and here they are in the NIT with an at-large bid this year. So the success keeps on rolling, and obviously, as you know, at Vanderbilt, it was a very different situation. You're talking about a team that won, I believe it was nine games in Bryce Strews last year and winless in the SEC. Jerry Stackhouse had to deal with that. He's had – some guys that he's been able to bring in. He's developed some of that talent, I think. I think it's really impressive what they've done on the offensive end of the floor. And over the last half of this season, I think you're finally starting to see his fingerprints all over it in terms of how they run their offense and how they compete night in and night out against the SEC's best. Yeah, and that kind of leads into where the coaches were when they took these jobs now in year three and kind of the feeling around each of these programs going into this NIT tournament. Or I think that's a double on the tournament there. NIT has that at the end, but whatever. But for Belmont, you mentioned this season had high expectations. They've got a very experienced roster, Grayson Murphy at point guard. They've got Moose down low. That's going to be an interesting matchup with Liam Robbins and QMB and Vanderbilt's size. But the feeling with Belmont is almost not that it's a disappointment, but maybe there were some higher expectations as opposed to the SEC school in this situation. The NIT almost feels like this was an achievement to get here, especially kind of with the injuries and how they got here. So how important is this to Belmont? Do you think that they're going to be able to kind of take that off as this is disappointing and view this as we can make up for what has kind of been a lost season with, you know, you don't want to say that with 25 wins, but kind of a lost season, or do you think that it's going to be something that it's going to be kind of hard to get motivated for? I think they have something to prove here tonight and they better because otherwise they're just going to lose on the road. I mean, that's kind of the bottom line when you think about this game, but you're absolutely right of, of where the programs have, are from and coming from. I think you hit it on the head about where this kind of feels from the fan bases, at least going in there. Vanderbilt, this is an achievement. They're back in the postseason for the first time in five years and a chance to build on something for Jerry Stackhouse moving forward. For Belmont, this type of postseason experience is expected, and they were really hoping that it would be the NCAA tournament this year. So I know for a fact that a week and a half ago, they were devastated about the way the season ended for them and the fact that they didn't know if they'd have any more basketball to be played. And talking to Casey Alexander a little bit throughout last week, I, I'm not sure how they responded initially, but at some point they turned the page and it, it was about saying, okay, we, we think we are going to have more basketball. We better be ready to play. And he can lean on his experience going back to that Lipscomb run. If you remember that team from a few years ago, that Lipscomb team dominated the A-Sun during the regular season after winning the conference tournament the year before and being in the NCAA tournament. So they had very high expectations. And essentially the belief there was we got to get back to the NCAA tournament this year. They lose in the conference tournament final on their home floor to Liberty. And they go into the NIT. And I think there was a belief over there like, oh, what a disappointment. We're not in the big dance. Well, then you win a game. And then you win another game. And then it starts to feel like you're really achieving something and you're one win away from getting to Madison Square Garden. And as Casey told me, 
and really all the media on Sunday night, when you have a chance to play in Madison Square Garden, you're doing something special. And so that's the thing I think that he's really tried to strike home to these guys is there's still an opportunity to do something in this tournament that you can really hang your legacy on at the end of the day. And that all starts tonight against this Vanderbilt team. And so we're going to find out. I mean, either they kick off this run in an emphatic fashion with an SEC win, or it all ends tonight, and then you probably are talking about a bit of a disappointment. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on some Belmont X factors and and the matchups you're most excited for, because in the segment one of this podcast, we'll kind of break down the stars of Belmont's roster. We'll get into Mazinski and we'll get into Grayson Murphy. But who who is an X factor on Belmont's roster for Vanderbilt fans to keep an eye on that you look at and say, this is a guy that needs to have a good performance for Belmont to get a win here? Well, I think just strictly speaking, numbers-wise, Ben Shepard has been their most consistent offensive player all year long. He's going to be a focus of the Vanderbilt defense. So what can he get tonight? Can he continue to put up the numbers he's had? I think that's important. But if you're looking for an X factor, I think I would say Will Richard. You could go Luke Smith as well. But Will Richard, to me, is a guy that has SEC athleticism and skill. At times this year, he's been the best player on the floor for Belmont. But it's just been inconsistent like you might expect from a freshman. And so what kind of an effort does he give you tonight? I think is huge for Belmont. And I bring up Smith just simply from this factor. Last year, he shot lights out from three and was a huge factor of the Belmont offense. This season, the scouting report was out. He was in his second year, and everybody, at least in the OVC, knew you got to shadow him with a lengthy, good defender. And he struggled to create and get good looks, and he hasn't shot the ball nearly as well. He's just 34% and eight for his last 44 from three this year. You play a team that's maybe not as used to you or is looking at the scouting report or the game action for the last few weeks, perhaps he gets a few more open looks tonight. And if he knocks down one or two, then you got to look out because he's a streaky shooter that could then knock down five or six. And that would obviously change the way this game would play out. Steve, you talked about that matchup, but I think another fun one tonight is going to be Grayson Murphy and Scotty Pippen Jr. Murphy is a guy that has produced at Belmont. Of course, Scotty Pippen Jr. has at Vanderbilt. Murphy, of course, a local kid. Uh, but for that matchup, how do you see that going? Uh, and how do you, what do you think fans can look forward to seeing in that matchup tonight? Well, the most interesting thing I'm looking at there, Billy, is will Grayson guard Scotty Pippen Jr.? Sometimes he's not always on the lead ball guy. And so you may see Luke Smith go over into that assignment. So I'm not sure they're necessarily going to be going head to head, but certainly the idea of point guard versus point guard and the numbers they put up, they're very different. Obviously, Scottie Pippen Jr. is the leading scoring guard in the SEC, leading scorer overall. He's a guy that is capable of going for 35 or 36 on any given night, and you expect him to do that, frankly. So in some ways, I think when you look at Vanderbilt, you know Scotty's going to get his, and it's how you control the other guys and make sure that you don't give up open threes to Jordan Wright and Miles Studi and Trey Thomas when he's in the game. And you don't let those big guys crash the glass and get easy buckets. You want to make them work for everything they get. On the other end of the floor, Grayson Murphy isn't a guy that's likely to put up 25 or 30 points. He's a guy that does all the other things on the floor. He's the all-time leading assist man in the history of the OVC he became the all-time leader in steals with a steal against Moorhead State in the OVC tournament. And then he was the leading rebounder in the country the last two seasons amongst guards. 
So he does all of that stuff and then is capable of getting the big bucket when he needs. But for, for Belmont to be at its best tonight, the stat line for Grayson Murphy is going to look like four, eight, seven, and five. Unlike Scotty Pippen, where it's probably going to be 35 on 11 of 17 or something. Yeah, Steve, we talk about this matchup, and obviously everyone's excited to see it. Uh, and I saw, I think, in the Vanderbilt press release, they said crosstown rivalry. And I, when I think of Vanderbilt-Belmont, I don't know if I think of a rivalry, I, 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 but I think of it's two local teams, and every time they seem to get together, it's a close, fun matchup, and it brings Nashville fans together. So do you think this is something that would benefit the city for them to do more, maybe have this as a home and home or have this every year, whether it's at Belmont or at Vanderbilt uh, or even at Bridgestone somewhere to where Nashville can get excited about, about these two teams in the music city. Well, taking my play by play hat off and doing my news channel five hat for a second. Absolutely. <laughs> the more I can see our local teams and, and not just Belmont and Vanderbilt, but throw Lipscomb in there, Tennessee state, middle Tennessee, even Austin Peay. I mean, throw those teams into a hat and have them play every year because really you're talking about by and large some really good basketball programs that I think can help everybody's resume. I mean, I know Vanderbilt doesn't want to play five or six of those games a year, but could Vanderbilt play one or two more as opposed to playing Gardner-Webb and Kennesaw State? I, I think they could. And how much more exciting that would that be for Nashville as a community? And, how much would that help put a few more butts in the seats over there at Memorial Gym? I think it would just be good for basketball in this community. And for the schools like Belmont and Lipscomb, anytime you have an opportunity to play an SEC team, especially if it's not like a true road game, and I, I know tonight's going to be at Memorial Gym, but the idea that there will be some neutrals there, the idea that there'll certainly be some Belmont fans there, that's different than like when Belmont went to LSU earlier this year, and it was just 15,000 people in purple and gold just – heckling them and saying tiger bait the entire game so the more we get those matchups would be great no question about it yeah and this is a little bit off subject but not really belmont is one of those schools in a tough spot because they're a mid-major program they i believe are they changing conferences next year or the year yep. after um, Sorry about but, next year. yeah but they're a very talented program very good but it's still even though they did get an at-large bid into that play-in game and in rick birds last year they still don't have that name recognition, but they're a very highly rated team. So they struggle in these out-of-conference matchups. Do you think that would be a hindrance to this local matchup that I think we all want to see is just the fact of what's the benefit of really playing a team like Belmont when they're very talented and you can schedule a team like Gardner-Webb? Why take the risk of playing a team that's won over 20 games and I don't know how many years in a row? Well, you're exactly right in, in what you're laying out there, Will. It's been difficult for them, in part because when they have been able to schedule up in the past, there was a while when some of the best teams in the country would schedule them because they thought they were still going to win, and Belmont had a good enough profile that helped them. Duke, North Carolina, UCLA, teams like that. Well, here's the problem. They won at North Carolina, and they won at UCLA. So that hasn't exactly encouraged a bunch exactly, of other people to that's sign like up. And, the worst yeah, thing they could do. Encouraged other <laughs> to sign up and say, okay, let's sign up for that. So that's been the problem. And so lately it's been more teams who are kind of like them. It's been the chat news. It's been the St. Louis teams that are saying, Hey, we want to be in that at large discussion at the end of the year. So we got to play these games and we got to win. And this year Belmont did a good job of doing that in the non-conference. Unfortunately, they didn't quite get the job done in the regular season in the OVC. And so that's, that's pretty much where they are, but there's no question that's the case. And it's only going to continue to be the case as they move into the Missouri Valley. 
I will answer the second part of your question in why take the risk. Here's why to me is because Belmont's almost certainly the way it has been over the last decade and the way it schedules almost certainly going to be a top hundred RPI game. And so the idea that you can get a team that if you're a high major program, probably believe you can beat on your home floor, that's going to be a quad one or certainly quad two win early in the season, as opposed to scheduling a team that's 200 or 225 in the RPI or another power conference team that may be uh, more difficult. I think that's why you do it because it can actually help your resume if you can win the game. Steve, you'll be on the call tonight, Memorial Gym, 6 o'clock tip-off. I know we've talked a lot about this matchup, but if there's one thing that you're most excited to watch tonight inside Memorial Gym, what would that be? Well, I think we hit it off the top, just the atmosphere, Billy, to have these two teams play and for the first time ever play in the postseason where the winner moves on one step closer to an NIT Final Four and the loser season is done. I think that's going to be really fascinating what kind of a – crowd we have and what it's going to look like inside Memorial Gym, but we already hit on the point guard battle, so I think it's going to be important to look inside, as we kind of alluded to earlier. Nick Buzinski is a four-time all-OVC player. He's averaging right around 15, 16 points per game, and he's had success before against high major talent. Now, Liam Robbins has a little bit of a size advantage on him. It seems like he's getting back and more healthy in the Vanderbilt lineup as well, and obviously, Quentin Melora Brown has been a beast on the boards and defensively all season for Jerry Stackhouse. So how he deals with them, how Vanderbilt tries to defend him exactly, and then what those guys can do together on the other end, because I think that lineup with both of them on the floor has given Vanderbilt some success here down the stretch of the season, because frankly, there aren't a lot of teams out there that can go 6'10", and I'm looking for Robin's exact time, seven foot across yeah. the board. I mean, essentially two seven-footers inside. Not a lot of teams can match up with that. Certainly Belmont can. And so can Vanderbilt take advantage of that on the offensive end, I think will be another key. We know it's Jerry Stackhouse versus Casey Alexander tonight, but it's also Kevin Ingram versus Steve Lehman. <laughs> Kevin, also the former voice of the Bruins for nearly two decades. Last thing I have, Steve, we got to get a pregame picture of you and Ingram. What, what's, what's that going to take? Oh, we can definitely do that. I'll be over there. I'll be over there pretty early. So we can definitely make that happen. I need to talk to him before the game anyway. So we can get together. I saw somebody on the internet though saying that we need to do like a broadcaster to broadcaster sumo match or something. That's out. That's out. I That's out of the equation. We're on Newsdale Five tonight. So we're we're not sumo wrestling before the game, but we can certainly take a picture. Well, you, I don't know if you can match his shoe game though. He's been he's been going with the uh, with the Jordans, so so we'll have we oh. might have to get that. Yeah, he, he's he's ha he has a nice nice shoe game here. So I think I have a pretty good shoe game, but he's working into the the Vandy Jordan deal right oh, yeah. there. So yep. <laughs> he, he he's taking advantage of that as he should. Steve, thanks again for taking the time. We're excited for this game and good luck on the call tonight. Hope you enjoy it. You bet, guys. Got to finish up here. Appreciate that, and uh, we'll look forward to everything tonight.